On the topic of Antarctica, we always, we've heard a lot more of them lately. I mean, we associate Captain Scott, Amundsen, Shackleton, all these great names. We hear of whaling at the time. We hear of drones that go around Antarctica now. We hear of a lot. And we now also use it. And we have been doing so for a while now, but using it for comparisons, data, in order to understand the evolution of the planet in so many ways. I personally thought of Antarctica always as, you know, the great explorers. That sort of land out there where you have to brave cold and so on and all kinds of elements. And I've been following the, the more recent explorers like Colin O'Brady and his different adventures. And I find it all fascinating. Um, it's become more and more people that there's been more and more people going there. Probably more people than would be good for Antarctica itself. I'm not so sure about tourism in Antarctica. That's just my opinion. I just think that, you know, I, I love the idea of Antarctica and all these other things, but I, I cannot justify myself going there um, unless it was part of uh, some expedition and uh, something had to be done of that sort. But otherwise, I think it's, uh, I find it very, very, not only costly, but also I think there's some people that are meant to carry out those tasks and they have a level of expertise second to none. And they are the ones that, you know, would allow the planet to benefit from their trip to for, to Antarctica. I don't think mass tourism is a, is something that I would want to encourage. And I think with my abilities, I would probably fit in that latter group. That being said, it has inspired many, many people. The mystery of Antarctica and so on. And it has inspired many people in literature. And I found an article on that in the conversation which I am going to share with you now. It was in theconversation.com and um, authored by Elizabeth Lean from the University of Tasmania. Title of the article, in case you want to look it up, Antarctica is the only continent without a permanent human population, but it has inspired a wealth of imaginative literature. When I was working on my book, Antarctica in Fiction, friends and colleagues would joke about what an easy task I had taken on. How many writers would choose to set a novel in a continent with no permanent human population? Surely a dozen or so books would cover it. To begin with, I too vastly underestimated the work involved. I quickly found that there are many hundreds of novels set in Antarctica even if you limit the selection to those available in English. Over 10 years later, I still have my work cut out keeping up with the proliferating new titles. Early exploring expeditions continue to be revisited. Contemporary threats to the region, climate change in particular, are generating new, often disturbing stories. A question I am sometimes asked is whether people who set novels in Antarctica have, or should have, travel there themselves. Increasingly, writers do visit the ice continent with national programs, tourist vessels, and NGOs. A research project I currently lead 
Creative Antarctica, has sought to identify Australian writers and artists who have travelled to Antarctica for professional purposes. Our team has found over a hundred of them. But while a voyage south is necessary research for a specific kind of narrative, my reading has taught me that it is possible to write an excellent novel set in Antarctica relying entirely on other people's reports. The five recent Antarctic novels described below offer a reasonable, reasonably representative introduction to Antarctic fiction as a whole. They range stylistically between literary and genre fiction and thematically across heroic and not-so-heroic explorers, climate warriors, alien invaders, and hapless tourists. Apart from Antarctic tragics like me, few people will enjoy them all, but most readers will likely find something to match their version of cool. Terra Nova is one of them. Set in the early 20th century, Henriette Lazaridis' Terra Nova, from 2022, is a fictionalized version of the race to the pole between expeditions led by Robert Scott and Roald Amundsen. These two expeditions, particularly Scott's, have generated a long line of literary responses, including Kede Holt's The Race, Beryl Bainbridge's The Birthday Boys, and Rebecca Hunt's Everland. Lazaridis' version focuses less on the explorers than those they leave behind. The main protagonist is Viola, who is the wife of Haywood, the novel's Scott-equivalent explorer. She's also the lover of Watts, the expedition's photographer who accompanies Haywood on his march to the Pole. Viola is herself a talented photographer. In the maid's absence, she becomes increasingly involved, personally and artistically in the suffragette movement. Photographs both reveal and conceal it in Terra Nova. Watts captures evidence that undermines his leader's triumphant claim to priority. Viola's images of the suffragette protesters on a hunger strike bring out an endurance and stoicism that prompts her to question who the real heroes are. While the polar love triangle feels contrived and the parallel between suffragettes and explorers is a little laboured, the novel drives home the broad point that while men were fighting to reach the furthest ends of the earth, women were fighting simply to be full citizens. Those interested in gender and polar exploration might also pick up another Antarctic historical novel, Ali Turner's All the White Spaces, in which a trans man stows away on a functional expedition in 1920. Though overwritten at times, the novel makes innovative use of polar Gothic tropes to explore masculinity, grief, and survivor guilt in the midst of what Ernst Shackleton famously teamed, termed the White Warfare of the South. Cold People. <laughs> Another title. What if all of humanity were suddenly forced to move to Antarctica? This is the premise of best-selling British author Rob Smith's Cold People. The story begins when a burgeoning holiday romance is rudely interrupted by an alien invasion. The advanced beings give all humans just a month to reach Antarctica or face unspecified but ominous-sounding consequences. No reason is provided for this required exile, 
although some suspect the aliens having witnessed humans' impact on the planet's climate, decided to take executive action. In any case, the extraterrestrials exit the narrative as abruptly as they entered, their motivations remaining mysterious. Cold People explores how far the survivors, ecking out a living on a frozen continent, might be willing and able to adapt themselves in order for their species to continue. The novel is the latest in a series of post-apocalyptic narratives in which Antarctica is conceived as a refuge in a damaged planet. The causes range from geoengineering, Gerald Hennell's novella, The Thor Plan, to a pandemic, Sakyo Komatsu's virus, nuclear war, David Graham's Down to a Sunless Sea, and climate change, Paul Macaulay's Austral. Cold People dilutes its impact by exploring too many new ideas at once, but it is worth reading just for the ironic images its strange scenarios produce. For example, when the aliens deposit humanity's cultural heritage on the polar plateau, so that the Statue of Liberty, the Egyptian pyramids, and the Taj Mahal sit together on the ice. The Art of Breaking Ice, that's another novel. Rachel Meets The Art of Breaking Ice is based on the real experiences of Australian Nell Law, who traveled to Antarctica with her husband in the early 1960s, thereby becoming the first Australian woman and the first female artist to visit the continent. Mead has also visited Antarctica more than once, something evident in the precision of her descriptions. When a poet and novelist writes about an artist's experiences in Antarctica, it is hard not to read the work at least partly autobiographically. Certainly, Mead's artistry is evident in the novel though more at the level of the sentence than the narrative. Nell Law is depicted not only as a lone artist among skeptical scientists, but a woman on a ship full of often hostile men. Mead very effectively evokes the discomfort of women's subject to men, unwanted attentions and constant judgment. Though the art of breaking ice is mostly set over 50 years ago, is subject resonates with recent reports about workplace behavior in national Antarctic programs. Four, another book. Like Lazaridis Terra Nova, Dennis Glover's Thor deals with Scott's second expedition, though Glover reimagines the experiences of the actual explorers rather than fictionalized versions of them. He finds a new angle by focusing on lesser-known expedition members, including meteorologist George Simpson. Glover couples this historical narrative with a near-future plot in which Simpson's great-grandfather, a celebrity climate activist, becomes obsessed with the idea that melting ice might be revealing buried artifacts from the expedition. Once she arrives in Antarctica, the second plot accelerates rapidly, the novel coming to resemble an eco-thriller. The historical sections of Thor are carefully researched and evoked. Whether or not Glover has traveled to Antarctica, he has certainly spent time immersed in the archives of the Scott Polar Research Institute, renamed the British Institute for Polar Studies in the novel. The near-future characters can feel a little cartoonish, and the echo-thriller plot strains credulity. 
The awkwardness points to the challenges identified most prominently by Amitav Ghosh in The Great Derangement of writing about something as vast as climate change within the traditional confines of the literary novel. To my mind, a more successful, although much more oblique, example can be found in John McGregor's Lean Fall Stand, the product of a writer's residency with the British National Antarctic Programme. Nonetheless, Thor is definitely worth reading for anyone interested in Scott, climate change science, and ways in which they might be unexpectedly connected. Another book, Midnight. My final cold book is Amy McCulloch's Midnight, a thriller set on an Antarctic tourist cruise ship. The tagline, when the sun never sets, there's no place to hide, might elicit a groan, and even more worrying is the publisher's plot summary, which promises tantalizing glimpses of polar bears. Polar bears live exclusively in the Arctic, not Antarctica. But there are no such infelicities in the novel itself, which draws from the author's experience as an Antarctic tourist. Midnight is one of several recent novels, novels dealing with the Antarctic tourist industry, including Midge Remin's Romans Come Disaster narrative, My Last Continent, and Ilya Prigogine's modernistic offering, The Lamentations of Zeno. This trend in Antarctic fiction is not surprising given that over 100,000 tourists visited last summer's season, about 20 times the number of scientists and station personnel. Antarctic tourists face all manner of peril in fiction, and you can't help wondering if this isn't some kind of narrative punishment for their perceived intrusion on Antarctica's pristine land icecape. Indeed, Prigogine's novel makes this explicit. McCulloch, however, is less moralistic. She takes advantage of the confined spaces and the dangers that can arise on a vessel in an extreme environment. In doing so, she follows a tradition of Antarctic thrillers that goes back to at least to Hammond Innes' bestseller, The White South, set on a factory whaling ship. While McCulloch has not quite hit her stride as a thriller wit writer, the cliffhangers and ruin-liners seem parachuted in. She is better on character and setting. Knife-wielding serial killer aside, Midnight recounts many aspects of the Antarctic cruise ship voyage that chimed with my experiences, and the narrative was absorbing enough to keep the turning pages. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, this was in theconversation.com. And uh, actually, Laura Hood uh, did work on this too, probably assisted with getting it published. Um, thank you very much for listening. I, um, you know, when I hear the different topics that are used and when I hear that 100,000 tourists visited, it reminds me of a conversation that I had with one Antarctic explorer last summer Um when they said, you know, we have issues like we get stuck sometimes, the boat gets stuck and so on. And it happened to a non-scientific crew. I can't tell you, you know, what size the boat was, but they made jokes about it because they didn't see the danger. And um, it was seriously disturbing for this scientist that I was talking to because they said, you know, we, 
we are in the footsteps of many people who never made it back because in the years that scientists have gone there, there is there has been a real hazard and there has been a real risk in whether to come back or not. And people take for granted now that with technology and so on, they will find a way to be rescued. That's something new. And uh, this person, this scientist was finding that all very disrespectful. In any case, I was uh, happy to bring up different topics around Antarctica, this time through the many novels that have been published. And I hope that this will trigger more curiosity and that this curiosity will be followed and that you will find other topics within the ocean uh, to keep you excited and curious. Thank you very much for listening. Until the next recording, this was the Ocean Matters podcast.